I'm reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the Pentecost day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. There were past Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. They were surprised and amazed and saying, Look, aren't all the people who are speaking Galileans, every one of them? How then can each of us hear them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the regions of Libya bordering, bordering Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own languages. They were all surprised and bewildered. Some asked each other, what does this mean? Others jeered at them, saying, they are full of new wine. Peter stood with the other 11 apostles. He raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem, know this. Listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suspect. After all, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Rather, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders to occur in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be changed into darkness and the moon will be changed into blood before the great and spectacular day of the Lord comes. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sarah. So today we celebrate a odd and beautiful holiday in the church, the descent of the Spirit at Pentecost. I think it's kind of odd to have a church holiday centered especially around the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit, while being one with the Father and Son, and we sing this in our songs and uh, recite this in our creeds, while the Spirit was there from the beginning, hovering over the waters at creation, the Spirit isn't super into grabbing attention. I, I, I like to think of it that the Spirit is kind of like my wife, Rachel, who always is down for a party, always desirous to help a party be really connective and celebratory and delicious, but if you try to throw Rachel a birthday party, she will be so mad at you for it. She never wants the party to be about herself. So, and I'm going to hear about that uh, <laughs> example later, too. She didn't know that was coming. So Pentecost gets called the birthday of the church. The same way um, the, in the book where we hear the Pentecost story gets called the Acts of the Apostles, when their acts upon 
closer read are really just reactions and responses to the acts of the Holy Spirit. That's probably a, a more uh, appropriate way to refer to that book of Acts as the acts of the Holy Spirit. But again, the Spirit doesn't like to be in the foreground. The Spirit's happy to not take credit. Today, we celebrate that shy member of the Trinity, and we rejoice. We rejoice in this continuing work of the Spirit, which was hovering over the waters that still warms hearts, that still opens eyes, and that still breathes new life into dry bones. One great thing about celebrating liturgical calendar, aside from getting to wear red and eat cake and do things like that, is it takes a little bit of the pressure off of preachers like me to say everything. I don't need to say everything because we'll be back around here sometime in about a year and I can say a little more of what I forgot. So I'm going to try to just say a few things that felt important about the Holy Spirit today. Like three things, three promises, challenges, three bits of spiritual good news. And they're all kind of um, the, the Apostle Paul taking up this this uh, ministry of the Spirit and, and communicating it in letters to his friends, communicating it in letters to uh, the church that spread throughout the ancient world. And I'm not s quite sure why there's three. Maybe it's like Trinitarian. I'm not quite sure they all why they all start with G, but here we are, okay? I couldn't quite bend it to get it like beats, bears, Battlestar Galactica, so we're going to stick with G. And we're going to go with Gardens, Grenades, and Google Translate. <laughs> One of those things is not like the other. So first, Gardens. The very reason that the apostles were gathered for this Feast of Pentecost, which we think Holy Spirit, but you always have to do the, the little bit of, of uh, like New Testament, early New Testament, Old Testament math to be like, why were they gathering for Pentecost if how we know Pentecost hadn't happened yet? What, what were they doing? In the same way when John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus, uh, we have all these ideas about what is happening uh, with baptism. And obviously there was something happening before what we think is happening with baptism. Same thing with Pentecost. So they gather for Pentecost and it's a harvest festival where you bring something to give to God, to give thanks to God for including you in divine abundance. You had planted something 50 days ago, and it started to come up, and you started to pick it, and it was fruitful and abundant and verdant, and you're gathering together to give thanks, to, to, to bring your first fruits to God. For the Oak Church Garden on the side, this might include that monstrous garlic that is growing, or some of the pole beans, or tomatoes, or even blueberries down at the bottom of the hill. We bring the first fruits. Deuteronomy 16 talks about counting off seven weeks from when you uh, began to put the sickle to the standing grain, and then you celebrate this festival of weeks by giving an offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. Inside of this is all that logic of God blessing us to be a blessing. And it says, and when you do this, you will rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. 
and your sons and daughters, male and female servants, the Levites from your towns, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows, all of these you will include and you will remember that you were slaves in Egypt. So have a feast, have a party. But at this first Pentecost, what we mark as a first Christian Pentecost, God surprises them. Instead of them coming to give something to God, God gives something to them. God gives the Spirit to them. By the Spirit, they become part of the harvest, part of the first fruits of the new creation. They are filled with the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And spoiler alert, everyone in this parking lot also is filled with the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So their lives become a living sacrifice, not just the tithe of grains that they were bringing. This is, this is important. That's why even like modern day when we tithe, when we set up our e-give uh, uh, account, that is in some way gesturing, nodding to this idea that, that that's just the least we can do because our whole lives are part of this logic of being blessed to be a blessing in the world. So Paul picks up this theme, all, all this, this harvest theme in Galatians and talking about the fruit of the Spirit, what a life lived in the Spirit looks like. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And wherever you see these, the Spirit is at work. The Spirit is growing something beautiful. Where you don't see these things, in your own life, in other people's lives, and in our world, you are seeing a failure to cultivate. You're seeing, like, bad soil, or a lazy gardener, or no rain. <laughs> you're, you're seeing something that's not fatal. There's always time to till over the soil in our lives and invite the Spirit to grow us. So that's the invitation. To garden, to bear good fruit, following Pentecost, is a long season. So if you didn't get it right today, that's okay. Everything after all these, all the red that pops up on this day is a long season of green known as ordinary time. Ordinary time is not synonymous with boring time. Ordinary time in the wisdom of godly play lingo is good green growing season. It's a time to let the spirit plant and grow and harvest in you. And that's what I hope it is for us. I hope it's a time not only to rely on the Spirit to give us the seeds of these virtues, but to encourage us, to en enliven us, to grow love and joy and peace, to cultivate kindness and goodness and faithfulness, to harvest gentleness and self-control for the sake of others. These things are the chief indicators of spiritual health. If you want to see someone who is spiritual, who is godly, who, who knows God, it, it's not indicated by how much you know, how much they know, how successful they are, or what airs they put on. It's what is growing in your garden. It's what fruits of the Spirit are abundant. So today, in, in this 
amazing special setup where we're outside and we hear birds and you can even smell some of the gardens in the neighborhood. Keep your eye on the Spirit's work in our gardens, bearing fruit. The second thing is grenades. Unless we think the Spirit is all about construction and growth, we must understand that the Spirit is also into disturbance and disruption. To walk in the Spirit feels like being open to surprise. Sometimes even finding out that you've been building wrong and you need to start over. Sometimes this happens in ways that all the pieces are salvageable. Like when I play uh, Legos with Titus and we got one brick wrong in step two and then in step 10 we have to dissemble and go backwards. That's fine. We can fix that. But sometimes the spirit is so disruptive that it's like a grenade goes off in our lives and we have to trace our way around the crater and start over. On Pentecost Day, the chatter that's happening, we'll get there in a sec, is so disturbing to the people that are onlookers <laughs> that they accuse uh, the apostles of day drinking. Uh, I had thought about putting some white claws in the, in the cooler over there just to see what would happen, but we didn't. This is a spiritual disturbance that is happening in the middle of the city, in the middle of the morning. And it's it, some of what is happening, what is making this so disturbing to people is what Paul is narrating in Ephesians 2 when he says, when you're close to Christ, when you're close to the Father, when you're walking in the Spirit, it means stepping over and sorting around the rubble of a dividing wall of hostility that has been torn down, that is being torn down, that you're stepping into the peace of Christ, the Christ who is our shalom. This feels so important right now to me, to equate life in the spirit with peacemaking. That the spirit of God makes all of these places of unpeace and where peace is a seeming impossibility, the Spirit makes it possible. This, by the death and resurrection of Jesus, there are no excuses to not be in this work of peacemaking, to not at least hope for peacemaking, to, to read the news of Israel and Palestine and, and pray for and hope for peace and figure out tangible ways that you can participate in peace. To read the news and walk down your street and to see neighbors whom you deeply disagree with and to want peace and to work for peace. God's Spirit has, in fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, been poured out on all flesh. It says, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young will see visions, your elders will dream dreams, even servants and slaves, men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days and they will prophesy. This is wild and unstable stuff. These prophecies and their initial fulfillment that is still happening is happening at a time of, uh, of patriarchy and oppression when, when uh, devout people are waking up in the morning and thanking God that they were not born a woman or a slave, right? And, and, and Joel is saying, this is where the spirit is happening. This is, this is what it means that the spirit is happening. 
This is wild and unstable stuff. Nobody said that life in the spirit was going to be sane or safe. But it is full and it's true and it's rife with possibilities for hope and healing. The spirit makes us family. The spirit makes us family. So walking in the spirit means gaining new siblings every day and new affection for our siblings. Sure, you might fight when you're young, but you gain an affection. That you are learning to love like a brother or a sister. That you're joining with God to offer peace to those who are far off and to those especially who are near. So gardens and grenades. And lastly, Google Translate. If you quizzed a lot of people about what's going on with Pentecost, especially like Sunday school types, you'd find that our Sunday school education has done a decent job of connecting Pentecost and the Tower of Babel. Most of us know what that story is like. Even people outside of the church or religious backgrounds know kind of what Babel is about. If you want, <laughs> if you want to learn uh, a second language, you might use a language program called Babel, right? Um, but I think the Sunday school simplistic style, of course not our Sunday school, but the simplistic idea of, of Pentecost being an undoing or a flipping over of Pentecost isn't exactly right. I don't think it's quite a reversal. It's more like a remix. Here's what I mean. So at Babel, as the story goes, humanity's pride, they were building something like a stairway to heaven, and their pride caused the Lord to frustrate their languages and scatter us so that we would be saved from building a stairway to heaven. And language got shattered into so many languages that working together became impossible. And there was strife and confusion and disorientation, something like that. That's a simplistic, you, you can tell me how I'm not quite there later. Um, if you were going to reverse this story, though, like just straight reverse it, what would you do? Of course, you would reinstate one official state language. You would bring back empire and stability. It's sort of heavenly, we speak English here, sign on some door. No, 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 no. Instead, what happens in our Pentecost story, in this crowded metropole, a rushing wind fills the place, in individual flames alight each one of them and they spoke their own languages quote as the spirit enabled them to speak this isn't like a plan b for the spirit the spirit is enabling all of these different languages the spirit is empowering all of this difference and some wondered aloud not everyone is from around here how is it that everyone can understand in their own language. So that's the miracle of Pentecost. It's not that they all gained new linguistic skills where they could all speak this new language or this old language, is that they spoke their own language, but they could each hear and understand each other in their own language. 
Anyone that's in any sort of relationship with a, a neighbor or a sibling or a spouse or a child knows what kind of miracle it is to be able to understand someone that is really different from you. When they're speaking their own language, you're expecting them to speak your language, and if you can actually understand them, praise God. You see that difference, though? You see what difference that makes? The Spirit's work is understanding and unity, but definitely not uniformity. The Spirit is not making us all into the same person. The Spirit is making us more deeply ourselves and helping us to be knit together in Christ. The first Pentecost had this Google Translate quality to it that should encourage us in our everyday lives as we encounter difference. The Spirit is not trying to make your roommate or your neighbor or your spouse or your child or your sibling or your parent more like you. To grow in the Spirit, that means that you will grow in an ability to understand them, in a patience, in a facility, in a desire, in an intimacy. This, is a, this kind of translation is the difference between like a, like a missionary and a colonizer, right? Any missionary worth their salt and their light is tuned into understanding their context and their people and loving them in a way that fosters intimacy and mutuality and truth. It's often the case that a missionary goes out, or maybe even goes out locally, to share the good news in a foreign place, only to arrive and find that Jesus has already beat them there that Jesus has already been there for a long time and has already been working and has something to show them. The colonizer, even the one with the best intentions, aims for control and uniformity rather than unity in the spirit. This is true personally. This is true culturally. This is one of the subtle heresies of our culture, Christian or otherwise, that being someone like me, like a educated middle-class white dude is what it means to be human and so everyone please adjust your language so that it fits what I expect or, or what people like me expect but the spirit of Pentecost is showing us that God's beauty is being revealed in so much difference in the panoply of different faces around us if we stay long enough even when it's hard, if we give enough attention, if we bend our ear to the Spirit, what starts out as confusing or sometimes even threatening might become more understandable. Might actually be life-giving. Might actually be joyful. So this translation work from the Spirit is reliably surprising. Don't know how it's going to surprise us, but we know it's going to. Paul, again, talks about this in regards to how we can express ourselves in prayer to God. In Romans 8, he talks about the immense present suffering being nothing compared to the coming glory to be revealed among us and how we join with the whole creation groaning for redemption and renewal and how we're so stuck and we're so weak and we're so blind and we're almost even mute to be able to express ourselves. We don't know what to pray for. But we have a spirit that comes to help us in our weakness. The gift from God gives 
gifts to us. It says, we don't know what we should pray, but the Spirit himself pleads our case with unexpressed groans. The one who searches hearts knows how the Spirit thinks because he pleads for the saints, consistent with God's will. We know that God works all things for good for those who love God and for those who are called according to God's purpose. So this affects also our prayer. And, and we can go back to those, those first two points. It, it affects how, how we're trying to pray for peacemaking that seems impossible. I don't know how to pray for the Middle East. I don't know how to pray for my own kids. But we rely on the spirit, the translator, the, 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 the one who gives us words and hears our words, even if they're broken words, and brings them to God. Brings them to Christ who whispers them to God. So uh, I want us to, to, we reordered the service a little. Normally we do our prayers to the people right now, and as Rachel mentioned, that involves writing them down on, on our board and posting them. And I know a lot of you probably walked by that on the way in, a couple minutes late, to, eager to sit down or to see someone. We're going we're gonna to put that up here. And so during communion time, you can come up and you can write a prayer. In writing a prayer, even if you're just writing a name and you don't even know what to pray for, that is the spirit working in you. That is the spirit that is taking unexpressed and unexpressible groans that's working with our intuitions and priming us and prompting us to pray and, and even writing something small or even uttering a small breath prayer this week is an act of faith and of building faith in a spirit that hears what we what our hearts really want and helps our hearts want the right things so we're going to give you an option to do that as pastor meg and i share in communion in a moment and bring that around to you you're welcome to get up out of your seat there will be post-its here and the board will be right here and then gary will then facilitate our prayers to the people with our prayers so uh, please uh, take advantage of that today take advantage of that uh, throughout the week I'm going to close us uh, in a prayer, if you'll pray with me. Spirit of the living God, we pray that you fall afresh upon us. We thank you for all of the fruit that you grow in our lives, even some of that fruit that seems like volunteer vegetables that just grow up out of compost and we didn't even know that they were planted. We thank you for fruit that is perennial. We thank you for fruit that is brand new and it seems so risky and we don't know if it can grow or if it will grow, but you are faithful. Lord, we thank you for the peace that you've made in Christ's death and resurrection and ascension and now in this gift of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you continue to make us peacemakers. Make us people that hope for peace and make us people that are active in our pursuit of peace. Make us um, so hungry and thirsty for righteousness that it feels like we are starving um, because you've put that on our hearts. And Lord, give us, give us ears ready to hear. Give us open hearts ready to receive. Give us 
um, the emotional intelligence to translate and to try to hear what others are saying, even people that we don't know or that we don't like. Lord, grow our hearts like your heart. And we thank you for your spirit that, that translates, that facilitates, that, that um, opens our hearts to you in prayer. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.